Welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the thankful Jewish sage himself, the one, the only, Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good, except I was uh, kind of... Uh it was crazy. I, I forgot off to guard. Put, I was my didn't have my headphones on. Yep. I, you were I got so in busy late ma- last night, Chris. Well, you were so busy making sure I was ready <laughs> that you forgot to make sure you were ready. You uh, know? That's right. But, what can I tell you? I was looking at my pink, pink mustache socks. That's right. We need to get those on your feet. Maybe you'll do that live uh, online. Yeah, don't e- I, I have people <laughs> tell me about the feet. Ay, 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 ay. Well, welcome in, welcome in. We are thankful. We're thankful for our listeners, Steve. Happy Thanksgiving to you and to our listeners as well. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. We're looking forward to tomorrow. The big question today that I asked people on our chapel, uh, every Wednesday we have chapel, how big is your bird? Well, <laughs> mine is a big giant one. It's 20 pounds. 20 pounds. I don't know how big our bird is, but I've got a smile on my face because when Alice told me this, when she went to check out at the grocery store, the lady said, it's free. You got a free bird. Mm-hmm. And Alice said, what? What? Oh, yeah. The, the, reg, you know, the receipt said number of points. Alice didn't even know she was collecting points. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it even better. How so, big is yours? It, I have no idea how many pounds. It's big. Are it, you, where are you, what are you doing? Yeah, we're hosting just one of our children uh, and their children. Okay. So, so you've got the family coming yeah, over. The rest are scattered around. Um, Christmas, I know we're going to our daughter-in-laws. but uh, So it's great because there's three football games on tomorrow. Oh, big deal. So, and we were just talking about the fact that football, I heard you out there, football has a Friday. There is a Friday game. game. I couldn't even tell you who's playing, but think about it, Bruce. <laughs> Bruce. Chris, I told you, <laughs> my mind is messed up. Um, that uh, Black Friday. The NFL said, you know what? It's Black Friday. People are going to be exhausted getting up at midnight and waiting in line five hours, and they'll get their brand new TV for $10, and they'll come home, set it up, and watch Black Friday football. Well, now they've got Monday night football. They've got uh, Thursday night football, and now they've got Black Friday night football. Maybe they'll do a Giving Tuesday night football. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. No, it's crazy. Uh Thanksgiving is has always been one of my favorite uh, holidays because there's family and fellowship and no pressure for gifts. Nobody uh-huh. gives gifts, mm-hmm. which is great because around Christmas or Hanukkah time, that's when you're, oh, do I get this person a gift? And how much am I going to? You look at how much you have and who you have to buy for, oh, yeah. and the stress level gets super high. Thanksgiving, it's just eat. Eat, that's it. You could go over somebody's house. They're not looking for any kind of gift. Just eat. I like just eat. A hundred percent. Well, listen, um, we actually last Thursday did a class on Thanksgiving from the book of Leviticus. And uh, we had several people join us from all around the world that were wanted to learn about Thanksgiving from Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 7. The Give to- us a one line, Chris, of what we should remember from that lesson. Well, I have three points. Number one, God wants us to remember his faith. If you want to be thankful. That's the thing. If you want a thankful heart, because I I think what God is always reminding us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that we are sinful people and we can forget very important things, uh, like being thankful to God for everything he's given to us. And so um, if you want to be thankful, you got to remember God's faithfulness. You have to recall his promises, and then you have to respond. If you want to be thankful, you just can't say thank you. 
You have to do something about it. So this means if I'm going over somebody's house for Thanksgiving and they got food, I just say I'm thankful. And then I got to hug them. You got to hug them or maybe help with the dishes or do the dishes. You got to have some action. That's right, because it spreads the uh, ability to say, I'm I'm thankful for you and I want to respond in some way. And it shows you mean it. A hundred percent. Yes, because there's a lot of times with my kids when they say to me now, they don't say thank. They're not saying thank you, but, you know, they'll do something wrong. And they'll say, I'm sorry, Dad. And I'm like, you've said I'm sorry about this 500 times. Let's change show it. Show me. Yeah, show show me. me. Enough sorries. <laughs> show me. Uh, it's the same thing with thank you. Is that the, um, It's the only offering, Leviticus 7, the Thanksgiving offering, the Todah offering, is the only offering in the Bible where you never had to give it to God. It was completely of your own volition. And so God didn't want a heart that was, God didn't want a heart that was manufactured toward giving thanks to him. And then in the process, it was actually a fellowship peace offering where you could actually eat the meal. You would you would eat it like a Thanksgiving meal. You ate the meal and you would share it with other people. I like it. Yeah, it's just like Thanksgiving. And in the process, you would be explaining to people why. So God didn't take the Thanksgiving offering for himself, which he could have done. Oh, you want to say thanks to me? Give it to me as a whole burnt offering. The whole thing goes up to me. Instead, he says, you take it back. He, 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 thank you, God. Here's my offering. You take it back and you feed others with it. And then they're going to ask you, why are you thankful to God? And then you get to share all the amazing things God did over a meal. Isn't that amazing? amazing? It is amazing. Uh, Chris, thinking thinking of this idea of thankfulness and sharing, uh, I was in Vancouver uh, over the weekend. And with the Canadian team, we had a fantastic conference on Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, at Riverside uh, Chapel, it's a Calvary Chapel, and the pastor loves Israel and the Jewish people. And uh, our chairman of the board of Canada came out, Bill King, and we were at his house. He wanted to host us a Thanksgiving at the end of ministry. And Elizabeth put out a, I mean, if I love appetizers, she had a whole spread of appetizers. Oh yeah, I was like camping. By the counter where the money, where the food was, it's like money to me. I, olives and uh, this fig kind of stuff, and oh, it, it, one thing was better than the other. And so we're gathered around the table, and so I asked Bill King, you know, Chris, we gifted to our board as we sh- as we we felt convicted to do so. Uh, a donor bought all our mugs on a mug. And so we said, we want we want each of our board members to have a mug on a mug. Mm-hmm. And we knew that that was uh, done uh, a few weeks ago. And so now I'm in Vancouver with the chairman of the Canadian board, all the staff around. And so I say, Bill, do you have your mug on a mug? He said, yes, I do. <laughs> It leaks. <laughs> it leaks. <laughs> what are you telling? And you saw it happen for yourself. I well, th- I, they said I'll show you, and so they poured. <laughs> He's reading. Of course, he said, "You know, you bought these <laughs> in China." I said, "We went to a very reliable place. Uh, we have not heard any bad things about people who have ordered them." But I, I took a picture and sent it to you, Chris. It's where your picture was. Yes. And we put in water, and you're crying. I'm crying out of my <laughs> I mean, eyes. It is. It, I'm crying because I wasn't there. It It is like leaking all over the place. So we're sending Bill uh, another mug. Another mug. And for you seven who bought the mugs, please check them out. 
if there if yours are leaking, let us know. Yes. I, we might have now, to buy a whole. Nother. Maybe something happened in transport because we did ship that to his house. Yep. And so maybe something got shaken, rattled, and rolled. But we and, still, boy, I just destroyed anybody who was interested in a mug and a mug. Yeah, I know. But well, uh, unless they want a weeping mug uh, on a mug, uh, you, you have. Well, one of our board members sent me a picture, and not because he knew about this, but he used the mug in a different way. Yeah, he put asparagus in it. <laughs> he put asparagus in his mug on a mug. I don't know what he so was the, saying. So there we are. You and me, pictures, and there's asparagus coming out of that our cup. That is amazing. Hey, listen, uh, if you would like to support what we're doing here on the podcast and also, even more importantly, support the work of FOI Equip, which is equipping believers in the Lord Jesus to better minister to their Jewish neighbors, their Jewish family, their Jewish friends, That's their how Jewish you did, colleagues. You were able to do your class in Equip. Uh, That's the main uh, ministry that oversees all the other things that we're doing. That's right. And one of the big ones, too, is our interns. We have uh, five of our six interns that are going to be going to Chicago right after Thanksgiving to partner with one of our representatives in Chicago. And they are going to be doing Hanukkah basket deliveries. They're going to be doing ministry on the college campuses. And they're going to be connecting with the local synagogues to show them support. And so we've got five of our interns that are that are paid interns right now, all thanks to FOI Equip. And so we're going to send them down there to get more training. So again, it's not just teaching. Teaching is one component, but the other is actually action. Our Tikva team is heavily involved in getting involved in the Jewish community. Your third point in Thanksgiving. We're They're spun. acting. They're acting upon their faith. That's right, because you know God doesn't demand us to be thankful. In the, he doesn't say be thankful in the in Leviticus by bringing me this offering. You must do it. He says, bring it if you want. It's uh, it's of your own volition. So what were they doing? They were responding to God's kindness to them. And Chris, they, I see a shirt. Bring it if you want. Bring it if you want. I, there you uh, go. There you go. Put quotes on that, Chris. We got to bring gotta, it if you want. That, bring it <laughs> if you want. If you want. But uh, no, if when you buy a mug or when you uh, purchase a mug, it's a it's actually a donation of ten dollars minimum. And that will get you a mug, but it also is money that goes to support all the amazing ministry happening with FOI Equip. And you can get that by going to gofoi.org forward slash mug. We have a link in our show notes. And also, uh, uh, coming up, Steve, we're going to be having, uh, this might be new to you, new information, but our interns are helping me plan a night to pray for Israel on December 7th online for FOI Equip. So, oh, that's amazing! Yeah, so we're gonna have we're gonna have that event running. We'll have information and a link for that soon. But then on December fourteenth, the following week, I'm gonna be teaching our last class for FOI Equip, which is all about Bethlehem. You know, I've heard I've heard people say, "Ah, oh, Bethlehem, just a humble town, really no significance." Jesus's humble birth. It's true. It's humble, humble, humble. But Jesus being born in Bethlehem, it was more than just humility. Strategic. Very strategic. And we're going to talk about the strategery of God by having him being born in Bethlehem, according to Micah 5.2. Chris, your class is the last one uh, for the year, but we have had, we haven't counted them, but I would say we've had at least a dozen courses this past year, uh, throughout the course of the year, and probably safe to say hundreds of people who have turned in tuned in, mm -hmm. uh, which is exciting. And we have a whole new year planned in 2024. Can you tell us a few of the classes? Yeah. Uh, starting in January, we're going to have Sarit Katz from Camera 
uh, she's going to be coming on to ask to answer the question: Does Israel control the media? Bum, bum, oh, bum. there you yeah. go. So that's a big one. And then we're going to have um, Ty Perry in February unpacking Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. The dry bones coming to life. A two-week nice. class there. You and I are going to... That's strategic, That's too. very strategic. You and I are going to be doing a uh, pass... Did you know this? We're going to be doing a Passover online, me and I you. I did not know that. Yeah, see, I hope you show up. I, I'll try. <laughs> I also know that we're supposed to be doing a special podcast uh, the first week in January in Texas. Oh, that's right. We're going down to Texas. There might be one person in January seven. They need to know now in November. The plan to go. Yeah, in January. Pastor Neil, he just heard my pregnant pause there and said he doesn't remember. No, Pastor Neil has asked us to come down to his church in Dallas, Texas, to give an update on what's going on in Israel. Chris, we're doing a live podcast. And Dallas, Texas. That's right. We're gonna and we're gonna have Pastor Neil on, who has been one of our seven listeners um, for quite some time. So we're excited to go down. He has a mug, and it hasn't leaked, as far as I know. As far as I know, it hasn't leaked. He sent us a picture of his mug. So as far as I know, it hasn't leaked yet. But if we got any leakers, let us know. Let us know. Look, look, as much as it might cost us, if seriously, if somebody has a defective cup. First of all, you tell us. I mean, we'll, I, we'll take we'll take the Cirrus, but then we're calling the people who give us get us the cups, and they're gonna get well, Cirrus. They'll get the Cirrus, but uh, um, you could say we're pretty defective people. So yeah, I mean. we are, we are. <laughs> all right, well, Steve, really quick for our listeners, please be sure to text us 424-444-1948. Again, that's four two four 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 nineteen forty eight. Uh, let us know uh, what you think of the podcast. Hey, let us know this. Let us know what you're thankful for this year. 424 And how big is your bird? 1948. Yeah, let us know the poundage. Okay, that's what we want to know. 424 uh, 444 1948. Steve, did you know? Yeah, you know, I thought it was retiring. Did you know? I thought that I know, Emily I was, Stone, but I came fun. back. I, I keep always, coming back. Well, it's always funny to me. You're like, I think I'm done with this now. And I'm thinking, you haven't even gone through 25% of that book I yet. Know. You're like, we're done. Uh, yeah. But now it's back again. I, I'm back again. <laughs> uh, and in light of Thanksgiving and uh, the idea of giving uh, and and being gracious to people, uh, sharing food uh, that we do with family and friends at Thanksgiving, I thought I'd turn to Did You Know, and specifically as it relates to charity, Jews and Tzedakah. Chris, Tzedakah is a Hebrew word for righteousness, but it's used. I I, I used to have a pushka uh, when I was in Hebrew school. We have one in here. I know we do. I have one in my office. All right, maybe you Uh, took it back. I probably, well, no, there it is. There it is. Oh, there it is. That's right. There it is. Um, And the pushka is where you throw change into a metal container. And when I was in Hebrew school, we used to do that because we had to raise $2 to purchase a tree. And so every day, four days a week, you'd bring your tzedakah, it was loose change, but put it in, and at when the thing got filled, you sent it uh, to Israel, and they would plant trees. A charity is a big deal for the Jewish people, and I like the way Emily Stone words this. Just <laughs> listen, listen to this, Chris. She says, while one unfortunate Jewish stereotype is the age-old image of Cheapy the Jew. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> Cheapy the Jew. She captures it right. Jewish people, of course, uh, have the stereotype that they're cheap, uh, that all they care about is money. Well, listen to what she writes. I always like what you say about that, though. 
you say, who is it? Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, what, Jewish people always get the like, oh, that the Jewish guy, he's cheap, but I'm always looking for a deal. I I was just, when I was in Vancouver, I was telling people, I, I said to them, you know, I don't mind if you say that I like deals. We all like deals. I said, show me somebody here. My favorite thing is when I eat food that I know has been purchased with a coupon. It tastes better. Mm -hmm. My Thanksgiving turkey, when Alice told me, we got a free turkey, it already tastes good. Yeah. It already tastes good. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's sitting there when they get that free turkey going, nah, save that for the Jewish guy who's coming around. That's no, right. They're saying, praise God, I got a free turkey. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So, but here she says, the truth is that Jewish law obligates the chosen tribe to donate money to charitable causes. This act of giving is called tzedakah, a Hebrew word meaning righteousness. In fact, the Torah instructs Jews to fulfill the obligation of tzedakah by giving 10% of their income to the poor every third year. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 12. Plus, an additional unspecified offering following harvest reaping. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. If you're not a reaper, this just means Mo money. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, good. So it, it is true, uh, Chris, that Jewish people per capita are the biggest givers ahead of evangelical Christians. Are they even. really? Oh, they're the number one in philanthropy. A percentage. Philanthropy, yes, 100%. Giving. Yeah. Uh, it, it, Anytime it, you go to like a university, it's always like uh, Rubenstein has. It's the you can tell it's a Jewish name. Every building you go a to building. is a Jewish name. Yeah, because 100%. a Jewish person gave gave money. Well, that might not be the case for universities that much that, anymore. That used to be the case. Yeah, yeah. some people are getting. There are people that very with big upset. money that are saying, you know what, you keep supporting this these terrorists. It's one thing. I look at. It's one thing that um, they support pro Palestinian causes. That's fine if you care for the the uh, human rights of a Palestinian. But they're supporting Hamas, and that's where they're going. Look at your support in Hamas. We're done. We're going to take our money elsewhere. Exactly. And big money, too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it is funny, though, uh, the argument uh, amongst Christians and Jewish people as it relates to how'd you get your building. Uh, most Jewish people look at the system of Christianity where they pass out, they pass the, uh, the basket around each service. And the Jewish person will say, we don't do that. Chris, you can come to our synagogue. You'll never see an offering. Nobody passes anything. You come, you enjoy, you go home. If I were to go to your place, they pass a basket. Everybody feels guilty dropping in money. That's what they'll say. The Christian then turns to the Jewish person and says, wait a minute. Uh, if you go to a synagogue, you have to join the synagogue and you have to become a member. We have membership too, but if you're a member, they charge you for that. Somebody comes to your house and says, uh, how much do you make? And you tell them how much you make, and they have a scale. Okay, you'll pay this amount, and you're a member of our synagogue. And you know what I say as the mediator? One way or another, you got to give. Mm -hmm. You can give the way the Bible says to give, which is voluntary. You've talked about that in your class. We, we give, the Bible even says, give joyously. As you are blessed, you give in blessing. And Chris, any Christian who understands what it means to be born again, 
should be motivated to give because God gave his son for us. Mm -hmm. How much could you, you can't pay back. When you get a gift at Christmas, be honest, Chris, if you get a gift from somebody who you never, you just knew, and for the first time they gave you a gift, but you didn't, how do you feel? You feel like you, you got to get them something. hundred percent. Now, just because they gave to you. Well, if you feel that way from, from a gift perspective, what did God give us? Mm -hmm. Everything. He gave us everything. Mm -hmm. So our motivation should be to give, but the systems, you got to pay air conditioning, heat, electricity. So from the Jewish point of view, you got to pay me. Here's how much you make. Here's how much you give. Yep. Christian view is give joyously, give as God has prospered you, give unto the Lord. And those are the two systems. That's the two systems. That's right. And so, uh, but this is a good time for us as we talk about the two systems uh, to maybe think about what systems Daniel was looking at in Daniel chapter seven. I got to tell you, Chris, we leave the lion's den, although this is not chronological. We're going into chapter seven, but Chris, things begin to ping pong back and forth. Now now this is actually between chapter four and chapter five of Daniel. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it's, it's, that's the leading of the spirit of God as he, as Daniel is writing this, but it is... Well, it, you know, I did, in, in my time at Dallas Seminary, I do remember when we were taking Old Testament prophets class, it was fascinating because Jeremiah says that you're to write this on on the clay tablet. And so, you know, during the New Testament era, they wrote on papyri. So they were they were handwriting on papyri. When you go back several thousand, you know, not se- several hundred years from the New Testament, now you're in the prophets. You're in, you know, Daniel's writing, what, 400 years or so uh, before Jesus even appears and um, 450 years and uh, and Jeremiah even, you know, at the same time. So they're writing on different uh, function or uh, what is it? Tablets and whatnot. It's not papyri. So there's uh, there is like a, a viewpoint that actually these things were it, we break them up into chapters and verses. It wasn't like that. Thing. No, they would have written them down on clay tablets of some sort and they would have been stamped that way. And so what we try to do uh, of course, it makes its way from the clay tablets to writings, papyri. But then what happens is we try to form them into cohesive messages. But really, they were one moment. They were, se- they were separate by themselves, and then they're put together. That's right. So imagine you have all these different moments of clay tablets uh, that are going on, of prophecies and, and explanations of what's going on in history. And now they have to all be put together. And that's systematized. systematized and it becomes more and more systematized as time goes on. Doesn't take away from the inerrancy of the, no. of the text. It doesn't take away from the inspiration. It just, what we're taking it is from one, I, the word I was looking for one mode of writing into another mode of systematizing it. But again, that doesn't remove the, the inspiration, the inerrancy of the text uh, of the originals. That's what I want to make that clear too, of the originals to what we have today. But that's why it's, Jumping back and forth. It because- is jumping. And that's why we need to know that this we have to backtrack in between chapter 4 and chapter 5. And now we have to, as you read chapter 7, we have to bear in mind chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Because the two, it, it's just so interesting to me, Chris. As I see chapter 2, that's a man's view of, obviously, Nebuchadnezzar's having the dream. And he's seeing the statue and its precious metal, gold silver, bronze, iron, an iron mix with clay. Uh, and the statue is big. It's of a human. It's it's a big statue. 
And we find out, as we talked about, that that's talking about kingdoms, starting with Babylon and moving forward. This is a vision from God's perspective. Mm-hmm. And Chris, the first thing you notice is the way we see things and the way God sees things are two different ways. Isn't yeah, that true? It's true. And, you know, you see that in the in the New Testament, too. You know, uh, when you read the book of Acts, it's the groundwork that's going on to build the church. You see the groundwork of uh, Paul and the apostles going out and in, investing in building churches. Paul's going out into the Gentile world, and you see him interacting with people. And whether nitty they believe, gritty, the He's, nitty gritty, it's the nitty gritty of ministry. That's right. It's what we see, and that's why we can relate with what what's going on. But then all of a sudden, we get to Paul, the same Paul that's going back and forth and here and there is now writing an epistle to the Ephesians, or he's writing an epistle to the Corinthians, or he's writing an epistle to the Galatians. It didn't take long before Cyrus rises. A hundred percent among people. <laughs> Amongst people. But now all of a sudden, I always like to say those epistles give us the behind-the-scenes look of how God is working in the spiritual realms, as uh, as Paul would write in Ephesians. Uh, he's peeling back, or even uh, I sometimes say he's lifting up the hood of the of the car to show us the engine of what drives this thing. Because sometimes you can drive and you can forget about your engine, you know, and all of a sudden, it's not until a check engine light comes on, you're going, oh, wait a minute, what's going on here? Now I got to go get it checked out. But that engine is what's been driving this thing the whole time. And so, again, it's that peeling back and seeing the way God's been working um, in 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 uh, sending the Lord Jesus Christ in the in the giving of the Holy Spirit, all of these things that are working in the unseen realm, um, uh, as Paul would say as well. So you get the nitty gritty, you get the you know the boots on the ground and axe, but then you also get the doctrinal component of things as well in in the in what God sees so in Chris, the epistles. Why don't you uh, read with us for us? Uh, starting in chapter 7. Yeah, it says this, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind, and he was laying in bed, and he wrote down a substance of his dream. So again, we're going back in time now. Yep. If you remember before, we saw the fall of Belshazzar in in uh, in chapter uh, 6. No, chapter, was it chapter chapter 5? Yep. Yeah, chapter, yeah, chapter five. 5. Yep. Sorry, in chapter 5. And and um, but now we're back again. So yep. this actually might so even this is predate before chapter yeah, five. This no, is be- it's between chapter four, four and chapter five. of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, chapter five. This is somewhere in between. And now we're also transitioning from Hebrew to Aramaic we're, we're as well. Be- we're in Aramaic. Yep. Okay. So it says. Uh, so Daniel said, "In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea." Four great beasts, each different from the others, came oh, up a, out of wait the a sea. Minute, Chris. I'm thinking Revelation here, uh, Revelation 100%. 13. Now, we know that Revelation is further down uh, progressively in the text, but for those of we studied uh, here in the Jew and the Gentile podcast, we went through Revelation, and a beast comes out of the sea. And here we have the great sea and beasts again. That's right. And the four winds is the idea of the four corners of the earth. So we're looking at a global perspective here. In Daniel's mind, this isn't just isolated to Israel. This is a global picture of what's going on. And then at the same time, the sea is a representation of the nations. So things are moving. God is acting, and the sea is moving. Uh, So we have a global picture here. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle, and I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, 
which looked like a bear. And it was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of the flesh. And after that, I looked and before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings of those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. And after that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. And it had a large iron teeth and it crushed and devoured its victims. It trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all former beasts and it had 10 horns. And while I was thinking about the horns, there was before me another horn, a little one, which came up from among them. And the three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So Steve, four beasts coming up out of the sea. So it represents the idea of, again, I think pushing us away from, this isn't Israel. These are the nations. They're coming up out of humanity, out of the sea of humanity. Uh, and, and each beast is different. Each beast is, you know, becoming more and more terrifying to Daniel as he un, uh, um, unpacks what he's seeing. And as you read about this, and if you keep Chapter 2, in your mind, each of the beasts coincides with each of the part of the statue, uh, the gold, the silver, the uh, uh, bronze uh, uh, thighs, and then the iron, an iron mixed with clay. Going back to Daniel 2. Exactly. The statue that Nebuchadnezzar sees. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. I've... See, I have That's it in what my I'm head. here for. That's, That's what I'm here you for. you got to flush me out. I'm, I'm here to fill in the <laughs> See, holes. I have it in my head. It's like... I, Every word that's in my head, I won't say it, and then I say another word, so it's blank description, blank description, blank description. I always— I, And I, you can fill it in. I just love it when you tell people, like, people's name, like, Elizabeth made us a great— Elizabeth? Who's Elizabeth? You know? that's <laughs> what I, I love being able to fill in the holes. That's what uh, I'm yeah, here for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, they coincide, chapter 2 and chapter 7, uh, and really, they're prophetic again. And, yep. uh, Chris, uh, this is the difference between the way— most Jewish scholars view Daniel and the way Christian scholars view Daniel. Uh, as believers, we look at Daniel as a prophet. These things are prophetic. He's, mm -hmm. he's living in the first part, the lion and the golden head. But everything else he, he talks about would, for Daniel, be future. Whereas most Jewish scholarship says that Daniel is written much later and everything he's writing is history. Mm -hmm. And that's a major difference. And, uh, you know, oftentimes these animals that we talked about are descriptions of the kingdoms that were mentioned in Daniel chapter 2. We started off, if, if you go back to Daniel 2 and you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it was the statue. And of course, his kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, was at the top, the gold head, then the Medio Persian kingdom under that. Uh, which we actually, if you go back to Daniel 5 and Daniel 6, you'll see that actually that happened. Um, the Medo-Persian uh, kingdom took control of the world, essentially. Uh, so you had the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, and then the Greeks. And then the one that Daniel is really terrified of is the Roman Empire. That one gives him nightmares, it seems like. And so it, it, it really brings him great fear. But I also think he's not only just thinking about the past Roman Empire, he's thinking about the, the uh, revised Roman Empire or what's coming in the future, even from us, a prophetic picture of what's coming in the future. Um, and so, you know, when you actually, it, actually, if you, there you go, I was just going to say. I, I wanted to tell our folks, the Most High God, we talked about it, Rennie Showers, who's with the Lord now, but 
wrote a great little commentary on Daniel, the Most High God. And as he talks about these creatures, Chris, uh, uh, let me just read, highlight. I'm just going to highlight some of the things that he said. You might want to comment on them. Uh, the first thing he says, the first beast was a lion with eagle's wings. This represented the kingdom of Babylon. That was in existence when Daniel received this dream. Show them the front of the book. Did you notice? Yeah. That's, it's a, that's, that's the line. That's an, an inscription or a, a carving on the, uh, a Babylonian wall from Iraq. And so you can see the inscription or the what, however the, that's called where they put the pieces together. But it's a Ish, lion. Ishtar Gate. The Ishtar Gate. It, that's it's right. The Ishtar Gate, inner city, Babylonian gate. And if I sound smart, I'm only reading the back of the book. You are the man. <laughs> Way to give credit, though. <laughs> you, source, you sourced it perfectly. I sourced it perfectly. So... He writes about this, and he also says, uh, as Daniel watched the lion, eventually its wings were plucked off. It was made to stand on its hind feet like a human being, and a human heart was given it after Nebuchadnezzar had been humbled by God through lycanthropy. That was the disease that uh, Rennie believes was what uh, he had, Nebuchadnezzar yeah. had, to live far away like an animal. But then he goes on to say, the bear had one side raised higher than the other side. This is Media Persia. The bear had three ribs in its mouth. These probably represented Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. Remember, Chris, last week we talked about this. Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon. But when Cyrus came, Assyria, it, Babylon is now ruled by a governor. Yeah, second, it's like, secondary it's city. It's like nothing. Bupkis, that's right. <laughs> it's a bupkis. It was the biggest thing, and now it's Bupkis. It's, ah, Babylon, it's one of three. It's just a fresh reminder that you can rise to the top and, boom, be humbled in a moment. That's right. You know? Your Cadillac will be a VW one day. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> You're riding in style, and then nobody wants no, no, it. That's right. You can sell it for 50 bucks. All right, so uh, that's the picture. So we're moving through. Again, the imagery is, as Steve was saying, connected to the uh, uh, the um, statue from Nebuchadnezzar's vision. Now Daniel's getting this again in different forms we see also Steve here if you notice it as the Babylon as the Persian kingdom will fall away um it says this that the third beast that he sees was one like a leopard which means it was moving fast and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird and this beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule and this again is a picture of what happened when Alexander the Great, um, uh, the Macedonian king, who actually does something that no ma no king could do, he unified the city-states of Greece, and he forms an army to fight against the Persians, which was definitely a very audacious thing to do, um, but he did it quickly. He defeated them um, within just a few years. I think within 10 years, he had made his way all the way from Greece all the way over to India. He had conquered everything, and then on his way back, because his all of his— uh, And they didn't have cars, Chris, they, I, he's taking his art. They, they didn't have jets. They, this is as he's 32 years old when he dies. Yeah, exactly. And he, the reason he has to come back is because his army's going, Hey, look, we've been gone for 10 years. My wife, I don't even know if she's around anymore. <laughs> we've got, there was, there was a coup. It was, yeah. so he starts taking his army back. He makes it to Babylon and that's that scholars still debate on what happened to him. They, they, they know it was a disease of some sort. Something happened, but he ends up dying. And now what happens is the problem, the guy doesn't have any um, relatives to hand the kingdom off to. Let us let me just read this real quick. This is from Rennie. Alexander died on June 13, 323 B.C., when he was only 32 years of age. 
After his death, his kingdom was divided into four parts by four leading generals. These four divisions were represented by the four heads of the leopard. Greece broke the back of medial Persian power by 331 BC. That's right. What happens is Alexander dies. He has no one to hand his kingdom off to of his own lineage. And so it ends up getting divided. The kingdom gets divided four ways among four different generals. That's important intertestamental time. And even when we get into Daniel chapter 11, when we talk about the battle between the king of the north and the king of the south, those are talking about the kings that come, the rulers that come from the the the, the downfall, the death of, of Alexander. These two rulers are going to be fighting over land. Um, the king of the north, the Seleucid king, the king of the south, the Ptolemaic king are going to be fighting one another. And out of that is going to become a come a very important moment in Jewish history, which is a type for what we see coming in the future, which is the Antichrist. But that type becomes Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, 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 a Syrian Greek king <laughs> who is going to stop all worship at the temple, desecrate the temple, all of that. We'll talk more about that as it comes. But Steve, I want to move uh, then Rome, of course, uh, which terrifies him, the iron of the of the Roman um the iron what does it say what does he call it the in the in the fourth uh uh um it crushed and devoured it had a large iron teeth and it crushed and devoured its victims trampled underfoot whatever was left and it was different from all other forms of the beast it had 10 horns and so again this is a picture of not only this roman uh, what the roman empire that Jesus would be born into but also the one that's going to come as well in the future let me read uh what Rennie says uh he says rome succeeded Greece as the world ruler by 146 BC. Up to this point, Daniel's dream focused upon an earthly scene, the secession of Gentile world kingdoms on earth. At verse 9, the dream shifts to from an earthly to a heavenly sense, and mm-hmm. that's a big shift, Chris. Yes, and the thing, too, to note, because I, w- I want to get here, and I'll end it here so we can pick up next week so that we can also get to our, our Yiddish word of the day so we make sure we highlight it. But in the same way that a small rock that was hewn without human hands comes and crushes the statue in Daniel 2, that same, so you're watching the progression of these Gentile nations come, then all of a sudden this tiny rock hewn without human hands goes and crushes the entire um, uh, kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the earth. Again, you have this staging going on. You have Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. Rome, and then all of a sudden, Daniel looks up, and what does he see? He sees uh, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. And then if you jump down to verse 13, uh, it says this. As all these things are taking place, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations, people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom one that will never Chris, be destroyed. Chris, I got to tell you, for uh, a Jewish person who reads Daniel, uh, they're going to have—if they believe in Jewish doctrine uh, and— rising up in the morning, reciting the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you'll love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. When you just read these, this text, if you lifted this text out and took it to an average Jewish person, knowledgeable enough about their background, their religion, they would think this came out of the New Testament, yeah. not out of the Old Testament. Yeah. I'm telling you, uh, because we don't, 
discuss this in synagogues, uh, at least not on the for your average Jewish person. I'm sure, in, you know, if you're going to be a rabbi and studying, you'll get into the text. But this has some, the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, the, the, those two things collide in, in my Jewish head before I became a believer. These would, they don't, they shouldn't be in the same sentence. Yes. Uh, and yet, there they are in the book of Daniel. Because they're two distinct persons. One is the Ancient of Days, which if we wanted to look at it, if we wanted to look down from history now and say, oh, we call it the Trinity now, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, the Ancient of Days is the Father, and the Son of Man is the Son. And so now, you, you you know, of course, there are pictures all throughout the Old Testament of a of a father, a son, and then God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so you see, even though there was no mention of the Trinity in the Old Testament, you see, if you want to define the Trinity, it's that there are three persons, three distinct persons, one essence, God, God himself. And so the three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, here you see the Father, Ancient of Days, and the Son, who God gives all authority, power, and dominion to. Two distinct persons. And it, it, it's it's great to see this, and keep in mind, this is Daniel getting this information of how the progression of human history is going to go. And whose hands is it in? The Ancient of Days, working with the Son of Man. I'll just, I'll close with this because we have to get to the news. But I wanted to say, you know, a lot of times, I, this is Daniel is a perfect picture of why God still has a plan for Israel and the Jewish people. Because look at all these nations, uh, the empires, Gentile empires that are ruling, uh, and they come and they rise up, and then boom, they're defeated. And they come and they rise up, and boom, they're defeated. And even the same language is used. If you go back to Daniel 6, you know, there was that language that was used about all authority and power and dominion has been given to this Gentile ruler. Well, now there is a time coming when the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah will come. That's what Daniel's waiting for, the Jewish Messiah to come to do what? To restore what God had promised to Israel and the Jewish people and how Israel and the Jewish people would affect the nations around them. And actually, I would submit to you, Chris, that that's the mentality of some very religious Jews. It's, it's, they want him to come. It would be, it would be a wonderful time if he would come now. That's what you, that's what happened during the Holocaust. That's what happened during the Black Plague. Any Jewish person who had a heartbeat for uh, restoration of the people. Uh, that's what, even so. Where is Mashiach? It would be nice, and that's why. Uh, for a couple issues ago, Chris, I wrote about the Messiah mm -hmm. because there's giant uh, billboards. billboards all around big cities that they believe they know who the Messiah is. And that he's here. They say he's here. Yep. It's very interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, listen, we're going to pick up on Daniel chapter 7 next week. But I had to get to Daniel 13 for the Yiddish word of the day. Uh, or maybe not so Yiddish word. But we will get to that in a moment. And before we do that, Steve, we've got some interesting news here. We do, Chris. Uh, first, in Argentina. You know, Chris, Friends of Israel has a medical clinic in Argentina. I'm, I'm, uh, our department is North American Ministries. Mike Stollard. And uh, Daniel Price head, over, head up our international team. And we have a ministry in Argentina that I'm so proud of, Chris, through the years. Uh, it's really one family of medical doctors who have served over a number of years. In fact, the newest doctor we have there is actually the son of the two doctors 
that we've had there for years. And now he's married uh, and has been working a number of years there, too. A free medical clinic. What do you need done? You got to get your heart checked? Done. You got to get your skin checked? You got a dermatologist. You got to get a family doctor? Boom. We've got it all in we, Argentina. We do. And you know what's interesting, Chris? I, I, I've talked to uh, the Espinosas about this. They're the ones who run but, the medical that's clinic. That's right. And, and in Argentina, Chris, they're all on. They all have free care. All of them. Uh, the government says free health care. Everyone deserves free health care. So I asked our workers, why do we have a clinic that's <laughs> sponsored by Friends of Israel when we when they already offer free care? What What's the big call for free care? Well, the free call is this. One example. It's an old one. Uh, it was given to me by uh, our uh, the uh, Alfredo Espinosa. And he said, a woman called, she had a mole. Uh, she had a mole. And when you see a mole changing color, that's not a good sign. You need to talk to the doctor. They need to get a sample and they need to do something. So she called the clinic and he said, well, you, you, know, you could get that check. She said, I know. I called them. I said, I have, uh, I have a card. I live in Argentina. I'm an Argentinian. I want a, somebody to look at my mole. And they said, no problem. Come here in a year. <laughs> One year. One. You'd be dead by then. <laughs> so she called. She had said, I heard about your clinic. Uh, I would like to come. How long do I have to wait? Said, how about now? Yeah. <laughs> and she came and she got a biopsy and they took care of it. Now, let's say somebody is listening and they don't know anything about doctors, Espinoza, all of them, the three of them that are running the clinic, all the nurses that are there. Let's say they're not unfamiliar with the the medical clinic in Argentina in Buenos Aires. Maybe they're thinking, isn't this a little off mission, Steve? I mean, you're you have a medical clinic in Buenos Aires. What does that have to do with Friends of Israel? That is a great question. Not far from where the clinic is, believe it or not, Chris, is a town called Mosesville. <laughs> it's good. How much Mosesville? Mosesville. Uh, in fact, David Levy, who at the time. David is a retired from Friends of Israel now, but uh, when he helped worked with the Espinosas to put this clinic, and this clinic has been running for over 25 years, Chris, uh, and not just a clinic. This has state-of-the-art stuff. We Anything, you, you as you said, you need surgery, you, you could get it done. You need uh, any kind of care, they'll provide it for you, and it's in the middle of a Jewish area. Now, what's interesting— Chris, have you ever waited at a doctor's office? I mean, they tell you, be here at 1 o'clock. So you get there a little bit early. So you want to make sure you're there on time. You've given up. You've walked out of the office. You told people, uh, you know, I only took a half a day of work. I got to go to this doctor's appointment. So you get there at 1 o'clock, and you're sitting. And so you say, hey, what do they got to read? So you go through the magazine rack, and you re they make you wait forever. Mm. Well, when you and by the way, I'm sure you wait at this medical clinic. The difference is, all the literature there, Chris, is literature that glorifies the Messiah of Israel, Jesus the Christ. Mm. And so, if you're there for a medical issue, you're going to have uh, literature all around you. Then you're going to hear from the doctor. And you know what the doctors do, Chris? They say, "Oh, we think we have this. Let's pray about this." Now that's might not be a good. Wait, the doctor is praying before. He, <laughs> that's right. I'm going down. I, 
looks like I'm, well, the only hope we have for you is prayer right well, now. Well, Chris, I could tell you that the people know they're in a different place and yeah. they like the place. There are a at. lot of people come to faith through their ministry. These people are changed physically because of the care that they get. The care that they get is not just professional care. These people, care, this they've dedicated, our, our doctors are not making big bucks from Friends of Israel. Mm-mm. They could be doctors dealing with, you know, high-end people in Argentina, but they've chosen to give their life to the Lord and to serve him, and just marvelous examples of grace. And yes, Jewish and Gentile people hear the word of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, Man. and they're led through the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. Uh, well, and the reason, we promised they didn't make the, they didn't make the news. No, they didn't make but the, the what We did went make, off on a tangent, yeah, but what, what, what did make the news is that things are changing in Argentina pretty rapidly now because, uh, listen, I'll just go back to the medical clinic really quick. You know, there are people who give to the medical clinic, and we've been wanting to make sure that the medical clinic expands and has all the proper equipment it needs to have, and people give to that end, and to try to get money from the United States to Argentina into their hands into their hands is almost impossible. impossible. That's right, because the corruption that's there, all of that kind of stuff. Well, there's good news. Things are changing. Uh, this is from Breitbart, which says Argentina president-elect Javier Malay promises a spiritual Israel trip will move embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, that's the, This is a dramatic change, a dramatic political change. We're going from a uh, Argentina is going from a socialist, a deep Argentina used to be one of the wealthiest countries and now it's bupkis. I mean inflation is out of control um and uh in, in Argentina. They they even took people's uh pensions out right out of their own pockets to, yes, to they did. fund the government and now there's a new president in town. He is a capitalist. Um he is for freedom, a small government and he's pro-Israel. He was flying and, a flag in Argentina in Buenos Aires the other day. And he won in a landslide, Chris. That's what the article says. Meili won the presidency in a landslide on Sunday night, defeating the current minister of economics, Sergio Massa, a socialist. Massa's tenure has been defied by inflation, 140%, skyrocketing poverty, joblessness, and the worst economic crisis in the nature's, in nation's history. So, Chris... Uh, Melee is coming. Uh, and what's interesting, I saw a headline. It said, don't look at the hair. He is all business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there's a picture of him kissing his girlfriend in this news article. And his hair is all over the place, Chris. Well, he's got a mop on his head. That I, looks I'm like kind of jealous. Yeah, I like, got to admit. He looks like he's from the Beatles from the 1960s <laughs> or something he like does. that. But he does. Uh, this is a big shift um, in uh, in Argentinian uh, politics. Now, here's the hard part. You know, he gets elected. The hard part will be whether or not the people can hang on to make sure these changes yeah, happen because it, it won't be easy. It's not easy. When you have to turn a big ship like that headed in the wrong direction, it takes a lot of stress to turn the ship as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what happened to the Titanic. They saw it ahead of time and trying to turn away they didn't make it in time. And so we're we're hoping that if the people will ride it out, that they'll be able to make a turn for the best. They have the capacity to be one of the wealthiest countries in South America. So they we'll do. see what happens there. But the big thing, though, Steve, is a pr- I hope that works out for them politically. Um, but when we we're, we're, we're the Jew and Gentile podcast, we talk about what's going on in Israel, the Middle East and around the world. This is big for Israel. He's offering to move 
uh, the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Um, and another nation moves its embassy. That's good. Yep. That's very good. And he's a support. You know, a lot of sometimes like Brazil, South American countries can often lean into a pro-Palestinian perspective. And so this is big that you would have a, such a large, powerful country like Argentina that would actually be supporting Israel and the Jewish people. No, this is very good news. And that, then we go to another one, Chris. Uh, this one is a headline. I'm not sure where we got the uh, where, where the source is, but a thousand boats said set to leave Turkey for Gaza waters in new freedom flotilla. I believe this is Times of Israel. Okay, Steve. so the Times of Israel, Chris. There's going to be a thousand boats called, or well, they're calling it new freedom flotilla. You know, this is interesting because. If you, it's been a few years since oh, we've yeah, talked I about all about flotillas. the flotillas. That's right. So they're coming down from Turkey. Approximately 1,000 boats will gather in Turkey on Wednesday before heading toward Gaza in an attempt to break the Israeli blockade. That's it. Say that again. Break, break the Israeli block blockade and disrupt maritime trade coming into Israel during the war with Hamas and an apparent repeat of similar attempts from over over a decade ago. Now this is big because number one, uh, Turkey has been certainly pro. Hamas in this situation. Yes, they have. Uh, President Erdogan of Turkey has even threatened to send his own troops into Gaza, which means they would be fighting against Israel. Um, so Israel has no friend in Turkey right now when it comes to this um, war against defeating Hamas. And these kind of situations become problematic for Israel because PR, uh, they're a PR nightmare. That's right. Because these aren't army ships coming down. These are people in boats in their home, in their boats. They could be, they, you know, I, they're big boats. They have people, but they're not, they're, they're private boats. These are not a military thousand of them, a thousand of them. So right now you have Israel stationed off of uh, Gaza. They're protecting the waters there to make sure nothing comes in. You've got uh, Israeli military, uh, um, uh, Navy that are all around. And so as they're coming in, they're going to start, uh, um, you know, I, I'll say light. I, I'm sure I, I, when I say the word attacking, you know, I'm, they're not using missiles or anything, but they're going to start interrupting Israel's uh, a defense against Hamas on the water. And this is going to create a nightmare because Israel is going to have to go in and shut these flotillas down. So now it looks like the big army of Israel is coming in to defeat these tiny boats. And that's the way the media will portray it. Exactly. It's a nightmare PR wise. It was last time the flotillas that came in, Chris, were uh, many of the people were activists, but they had weapons. They did in have weapons. the boats. And so what you saw when the Israelis came down, uh, really from helicopters on ropes to try to disrupt them. There was violence and there was, it was not good. This is going to be the same thing. Chris, on these flotillas, there's going to be a number of Jewish people. Mm -hmm. uh, make no mistake about it. You get two Jewish people together, you get three opinions. That's a conservative estimate. And so, Chris, right now, they're Jewish people who are on the side of the Palestinians. There's no question about it. Did you did you see the um, the X post, formerly Twitter post, I sent of the woman rabbi reading from Genesis? No. Uh, so she this is uh they had a um a minion together. It looked like they were having a service outside, and she was reading from Genesis, um I think chapter twenty six or something like that, which is the blessing going to Isaac. And she's reading it in Hebrew. She's and, reading uh, the blessing of Isaac, and I, she's supporting the Palestinians. Well, so that's the thing that's funny. I I, I 
I, I know it came from Genesis and it had to do with the covenant that God made to Abraham. And so she's out there and it's signs are behind her. Stop the, you know, cease fire now, all this. And so she's reading it in Hebrew all loud. And then all of a sudden it gets, it gets to the part where it says, I give all this land to you and to your people. And she quiets down. She goes, zip, 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 zip. and then she goes back up again, you know? So I sent you, you have to check that I'll out. It's pretty funny. Check it out. To, she didn't want to be loud about it. She didn't want to say, oops, it belongs to the Jewish <laughs> That's people. Right. That's our land. That's right. That's right. That's all right, right, Steve, one last one. This got snuck in. Uh, last minute by uh, Laura Coleman, who came in and talked about three arrests following pro-Palestinian protests at Elbeat Systems in New Hampshire. There was spray painting, smashing of windows, skylights, and damage to the HVAC system that were among the acts of vandalism discovered by the police. Uh, three people were facing charges following a pro-Palestine protest uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, the Mary Mac police said they received calls from em- the employees of Elbit Systems, a defense contractor located at 2020, uh, uh, talks about where they are, shortly after 8 a.m., saying that the protesters were blocking the driveway. Multiple people believed to be on the roof of the, of the building. Protesters have been previously targeting Elbit Systems located in Massachusetts and around the globe, alleging that the company is involved in Israel's military campaign. There is an Elbit parent company that's based in Haifa. And so, again, you have these uh, individuals, Calla Marshall Walsh of 19 years old of uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, uh, Sophia or Sophie Ross, 22, and um, Bridget uh, Chagallis of 27 from Connecticut. Uh, They were all charged with riot, sabotage, criminal mischief, criminal trespass, and disorderly conduct, uh, uh, conduct and are scheduled to be arraigned in Hillsborough County Superior Court at 1 p.m. on Tuesday. So anyway, interesting because now they're going after Israeli uh, and American companies that are, it looks like this is defense contracting in some way, supporting Israel. You know, Chris, as I've been watching people uh, either support Israel or support the Palestinians, there is to me, and I am certainly biased, you know, we had 300,000 people in Washington, and I'm telling you, that was a, for the media, that was a boring meeting. Chris, there wasn't no armed mm-hmm. conflicts. Uh, I I never heard a bad from any source. All just saying the number of people, speakers, and how they're supportive for Israel, even from those who don't agree. Do you know, Chris? Almost every single time we hear about support for the Palestinians, and this isn't the Palestinians' fault. I'm not saying that they're supporting the Palestinians that are in Gaza who are having to suffer through this war. There's always violence. Have mm-hmm. you ha, I haven't heard of one that didn't have violence. Nope. And they're usually smaller than that big one in Washington, but there's more Tsuras. Yeah. Yep. So I I'm sure if you asked a law officer, uh oh, there's a a pro-Israel thing going on. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, no problem. Uh but oh, there's a pro-Palestinian thing. Uh problem. Yep. I realize that's a biased statement. I, you could back it up by the reports you read about these things. A hundred percent. And I'll add one more thing. This isn't in, in our news, but we also have been following the fact that uh, Israel might be making a deal with Hamas right now to release, I believe, 150 Palestinians. They're saying they're not terrorists. Chris, we'll talk about this next week yep. because we're just finding it out. Yep. Go, go, and then, go ahead. Uh, in exchange for, I believe, 50, 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a four-day pause in northern um, Gaza in the war zone, um, so we'll see how that works out and whether or not the Hamas can hold off in a four-day ceasefire. 
Uh, this will allow Hamas to restructure and to give them time to um, rearm. However, they're going to do anything to attack Israel. This doesn't mean we're going to see peace. I actually think they're going to come back in full force Israel again. That's but Chris, let me it. just say this. I'm sure that there are some people hearing this who love and support Israel who say this is a bad move. And I, I understand that they might say that. But let me just say this. If you are a family member of one of these 50 people, you are going to be ecstatic. 100%. You're getting your level. It's always easy to criticize a government move when you don't know all the information. I have my own opinion, all that. But Israel, this is a unanimous agreement on the council that meets. This isn't a Benjamin Netanyahu decision. There's a council that that's specially been put together during this war that is multi-party. Uh, and so they unanimously have agreed. I think it was hard for them to agree. I, I think it was 100%. very difficult because they want all of them back. Uh, so just, just to put that addendum on there, because it's, it's very difficult for those families. And at, at least for now, we're hearing 50 will come home. And it's not just family at the families for sure, but yet those families have the are families of other people and everybody knows one another. So in Israel when one person is attacked, I know that everybody feels it. Everybody, everybody. feels it. And so I, I, they know I, there is a serious sense of wanting to get all these hostages back. 100%. Um and also the other thing too is I don't think Americans can ever understand this. It, it we live in New Jersey or I live in New Jersey. We we our ministries in New Jersey. Uh, this would be the equivalent of us knowing that our family members are just in Cape May, an yep. hour and a half away. Yep. That's where they're being held hostage. It's not like they're on the other side of the world in Iraq or so Iran. So close and yet no, so far. They're right there. And yep. so if they can get them back, I know that's what they're working to do. Hey, Steve, Yiddish word of the day. Well, actually, it's Hebrew. It's a Hebrew but word. But it's Hebrew used by Yiddish speakers. I'm sure that the Yiddish speakers have said this over and over uh, and over again. And the word is... Mashiach. Mashiach. Messiah. That's right. Christ. I always tell people uh, when they say the name Jesus Christ, you know, I, they think Christ is his last name. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Mr. Mary Jesus Christ, Christ, Joseph Christ, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Mail to this zip code. <laughs> he is the Mashiach, the Messiah. And whether you're a Yiddish speaker or a Hebrew speaker or you're amongst the nations in the diaspora, Jewish people know Messiah, Mashiach. That's right. And this is important because in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, one like the Son of Man. That means when Daniel, we'll unpack this more next week, but when Daniel sees the Son of Man, he sees somebody that looks like a human, but this guy's doing things I've never seen before, which means he's divine in, in, in many ways. And so, again, the picture of the Mashiach, the Messiah, and we even, just as Jewish people, Steve, say Mashiach now, Messiah now, hey, we say the same thing. Mashiach now, Jesus come now, Maranatha, our even Lord come. Even so come. So happy Thanksgiving to all our American friends and the one person who might be international. That's exactly right. Hey, we are thankful for you, our listeners. Be sure to go to foiequip.org and register for our classes uh, and uh, be a part of everything that's going on here at the, uh, with the Jew and Gentile podcast by texting us at 424-444-1948. Let us know what you're thankful for. We're thankful for you. Steve, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you, and look at our bobble. There we go, we're bobbling. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll see you soon.